0: Championship Vision Podcast. I'm Coach Kevin Furtado. Today is episode 131 with Coach Brad Smith. The numbers speak for themselves 26 seasons as head coach or co head coach at Oregon City High School, 626 wins, 10, to 10 state championships, three unofficial national championships. The real story is a feeling of family and community Coach Brad Smith created along with a relentless pursuit of excellence. Coach Smith seized on the practice of traveling out of state to face tougher opponents, not afraid to lose and learn. No matter what the talent, he gave his point guards free reign to run the offense and drilled everyone in the pressure defense that became an Oregon City trademark. Smith also founded the end of the Oregon Trail Summer Tournament that attracts elite touring teams from all over the country. He is famous for inviting young school-age athletes into the Oregon City locker room, and before and during games to see his team and interact with him. The Pioneers' success did not come overnight. Smith took over the job at his hometown high school in 1980 after graduating from George Fox University. Oregon City quickly went from winless to league champion, but did not fare well in the postseason. After back-to-back two-point losses in the 1987 and 1988 state finals, there was some pity for the Pioneer squads that couldn't quite win the big one. The breakthrough came in 1992 with a 25-1 championship team. Then the 1994 squad bettered that at 26-1. That was the beginning of a five-year run of consecutive titles, which included three straight years as USA Today national champions. The pieces were in place for the 1994 championship. The trio of Ashley Smith, Brad's daughter, Breanne McCary, and Lindsey Yamaski were unstoppable. Their three-year record of 76-1 was nothing short of amazing. Smith stepped aside for a season to watch Ashley play college basketball, but returned in, in 2000, now as co-head coach to his longtime assistant, Carl Tinsley. That duo won four more state titles in a row from 2001 to 2004 and groomed the next head coach, Kurt Gilsdorf. Brad Smith continues to enjoy working with basketball players and keeping up with his extended Oregon City basketball family. He was inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2015, married to Lisa Smith, three daughters Veronica, Ashley, and Stephanie, long-term foster parents for 12 years, born in Arlington, Washington in 1952. Graduated from Oregon City High School in 1971. He was a graduate of George Fox University in Newburgh, Oregon. He had a degree in psychology and sociology and a teaching degree from Portland State. He's a member of the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame and the Morgan Wooten Award for Lifetime Achievement in Coaching High School Basketball. He's also a member of the Oregon City High School Hall of Fame, member of the WBCA Hall of Fame, And member of the State of Oregon Hall of Fame. And in addition, he's member of the George Fox University Hall of Fame. Coaches, I just want to tell you this is gonna be a great honor. I've been trying to get a hold of Coach Smith for quite some time. And what a great guy. He's really gonna share with you some unbelievable wisdom. Um, there is no better high school coach record-wise and and building a program than Coach Brad Smith. I mean, I mean, his winning percentage, his state titles, his national championships, man, he's going to really share with us, you know, kind of key insights on how he did that. So uh, get your pen and paper out, and I'm really looking forward to picking the brain of one of the greatest coaches uh, probably of all time uh, in our country. So Coach Brad Smith, welcome. Hey, Coach. Hey,
1: Kevin. (laughs) Is it working?
0: It's working great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you never know with phones sometimes, you know, it can, sometimes it can get disconnected, but for the most part, uh, it, it runs pretty smoothly. Um, hey, welcome to the podcast, man. What a great honor to be speaking with you. And I, I enjoy talking with you yesterday. Um, so again, welcome to our podcast, man. I'm glad to have you.
1: Well, I appreciate it. I really do. It's, uh, it's great that you're doing this to help coaches in all sports to you know, be able to learn from other people all across the country. I think it's a great deal. So we thank you.
0: Well, you know, I got to tell you, it's a little bit, it's a little bit selfish because man, I learned, I learn something every time I speak to somebody. Um, and just like, you know, when you go to a clinic and, and probably I don't think people realize even a Brad Smith goes to a clinic and still has his notepad. You're still trying to learn, aren't you?
1: Oh yeah. You know, I, I mean, it used to be you, when you were young and you'd go to a, a clinic, you'd write down everything they'd say, and then you'd go back and, you know, 99% of it, you'd forget and you'd look up in your notes. And But now I think you realize you know, no matter how old you are or young you are, if you just kind of go and say, hey, I want to pick up one, two, maybe three things per speaker – you can implement those things. And so that's why I think uh, clinics are the best thing around. If if you go in with the idea, I'm looking for one or two things per speaker and not this guy's going to change my life
0: sort of thing. That's a great point. Yeah. You, and you got to have your own. This is what I want you to talk about. Like, you know, what did you do to build your program in Oregon city? And I think coaches need to know, I think I, I like to see, I consider myself a program builder and, and impactful on kids. And, and I, I try to think it more than just coaching basketball. There's a lot to it. And I really want you to share with how you really built your culture at Oregon City. But before I do that, kind of tell us a little bit about you. Um, you played for Oregon City. So you know that community really well. Tell us about growing up there and, and how everything kind of shaped in you becoming the coach.
1: Well, it was, you know, it's kind of one of those, you know, back in my time, a welcome back Cotter sort of deal. Uh, You know, uh, grew up in Oregon City, went to school here, uh, you know, played all the sports in the 70s um, and then went away to college and actually thought that I was going to be a minister uh, and then kind of went into, okay, wait a second, I really enjoy this coaching stuff. So maybe I'll change it to being a teacher. And then then I thought I'd be a psychologist. And, you know, you're typical. uh, You kind of go all sorts of things and uh, finally settled on being a teacher. And it just so happened that uh, Oregon City, when I, when I graduated, uh, they had a position as a uh, U.S. history teacher, social studies. And so it just turned out, it turned out perfect for me that, that uh, I went back and um, I had three wonderful coaches that uh, all were looking for assistance. And one was Don McCarty and one was Gordy James and, and the other was my baseball coach. Uh, who had just kind of retired. and His name was Wayne Bauer. So it turned out perfectly for me to to kind of, you know, fall back in. And they took a shot on me and I learned so much from them. So being in the community all my life had really made a difference for me. So that really, really helped.
0: Yeah. and And talk a little bit about community because it's amazing how I mean, the, the success that Oregon city has had over the years, and I think it's continued success. I, I haven't kept up w- with them lately. How did that, how did, how did, how did, how did you guys groom that success there in that community? Was it just everybody just came together? Basketball was just amazing. How did girls basketball become so big in Oregon city?
1: Well, you know, I think a lot of things uh, are just in the timing of, of, of life. Um it, if you're in a one high school community and in back in the seventies, we were not a suburb of Portland yet. We were starting to become one, but we were our own identity. And we had been, you know, um, the, the territorial uh, uh, governorship had been here and we were the first city. And so there was some already some pride and we were all pretty much working class people. We had a, a mill on our side of the river, another on the Westland side. So the people I think were just hardworking, proud people. Um, and most people were fortunate to be middle-class. And so y- you had that, uh, that society, they, they bond together. They want to be together. You know, all the men go to a couple of uh, restaurants and, and, uh, uh, gas stations and drink a coffee after the Friday night game on a Saturday. And, um, So it was just it was already a built in idea that this was a strong community. And just having one high school, the traditions of that school made it really, really big for us. And then I just happened to come in. The guy that started the program was Gary Story. And in the 70s, you know, we had Title IX come through. Right. And so by the time it reached out here, um, you you know, they just started everything. They started volleyball. They started basketball. You didn't have your soccers and stuff, but you had softball. And so we were just fortunate to get in on the ground floor. Um, Gary started it, and, and he really didn't want to coach it. He just kind of did it. Uh, and so he did it for two years, and um, I just happened to fall into it. I'd been doing boys with Gordy James, and it opened up, and I thought this, this would be a great opportunity. Coach James was leaving to go to a different high school. And, um, new, new guy coming in was, um, different mindset than what coach James had been. And so I just thought, Hey, this is a good chance to kind of try something new. And I was excited about it, but, uh, you know, that was it, you know, uh, (laughs) he just kind of started that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I tell you the 80s, I, I played, I, I, I played from 78 to 82, so I played kind of in that time where I remember our girls' basketball team being pretty dang good at that time, and it was just growing. The game of girls' basketball was just growing right there in the 80s. Yeah. So you did come around at the right time when things were getting pretty good. Of course, now it's it's pretty big time, but that's timing, right? It's coming at the right – you mentioned that.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, and, and I think that's important for young coaches to know is that um, – if you want to build something, you're you're, you're probably going to have to look and say, it's it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. Um, Now, if you're a college guy and you want to keep moving on, that's great. But if you're a high school guy, especially it used to be up until about 2000 um, in our state, if you were a high school coach of anything, you could transfer to a different school. So maybe you started at a two or three A school, you could go up to a four A school, you could take all of your um, seniority with you. So if you had been 15 years someplace, you moved right into a school, and and boom, you were you know still at 15 years. And then mm-hmm. they changed that, and and once they changed that, you didn't see people moving around as much as they used to. And so, uh, building a program in one area became, uh, I think, something a lot harder to do uh, in today's age because most people they'll do it for a while and and then they realize hey i think i kind of want a life and uh (laughs) there's, there's nowhere to you know to move on to to take your seniority to try a new challenge per se without going back to you know being basically a beginning teacher in seniority so that that's been a part of it and and just the fortune of of the 70s girls all excited to play sports um it really helped us that uh we jumped right in and and one of the most important things I feel of any program, if you want to build a program, is you have to get to the youth program. you got to build it from the bottom. And, and if, once you build it that way, those kids start coming up and they want to be a part of, of what's going on. And so I, I think for us, when you, when you ask kind of how is it, is it still going, it's still going really good for us. Obviously, we're not winning national championships and stuff like that but they're always in the hunt for a state tournament um, trophy, if not a championship. And it's because they've continued from, from Kurt all the way to Tiffany. They've continued to run the youth program as, as the feeder program. And that really makes a difference. You know, you got to spend a lot of time with your youth program. If you want to see it at the high school level In, in a, now, I will say in a public school situation, you know, there's there's always a difference when you're in a private school. You know, somebody else can develop those kids and, you know, they can they come to you as a freshman and stuff. But uh, in a public school, you you kind of want to make sure you get your kids doing what you want them to do.
0: Yeah. And that's going to be one of my major questions, because I'm a big believer in feeder programs and I'm lucky, Brad, I, I coach at a K-12 school as a charter school. And I teach K5 PE. So I have all those kids <laughs> since they yeah. were kindergarten. And um, and over time, I think that's really gonna help. And that, that makes a difference on connecting with kids, right?
1: Oh, big time. And and every kid wants to go to two things, you know, you know, in a classroom or you know, if it's music, or they wanna go where they feel they're a part of something, and you know, so they're accepted with it and they're a part of it. And the other thing they want to do is they want to go and they want to be successful. And and success used to be being a part of something. You know, now success seems to be uh, I have to play, I have to start, I have right. to do this. And so it's a lot harder, I think, on today's coach. Uh, you really have to, uh, you know, put some time and energy in, in the players uh, today to make them feel like hey, I'm the eighth kid. I'm a pretty good softball player or I'm a pretty good football player or whatever it is. So why do I want to continue to do this? And that's the part to me where you really have to, you know, kind of hone in on that team building and the importance of being um, all together. And when you get them as youth kids and they do that and they stay together and they play together and they have fun together. um, When they get to high school, it's a lot harder because it's your friends playing. And you know that, hey, if if I if I can play softball, am I going to do that all the time? Or I'd really like to play with some of my teammates now that are basketball players. So I think that's the key to a youth program is selling them on the idea that this is where they want to be in, in the years to come.
0: Right. And times have changed a little bit. And I spoke to Kurt about this, too. You know, you got AAU, you got travel ball. The kids play more games in travel ball than they ever do. And I, I know you run an organization, right? I think you're still involved with uh, travel ball and AAU, and I, I, I'm pretty sure you're still doing that or have an impact on that. So it's changed a lot, right? Kids are playing more in the off season, definitely, than they're playing during the school year.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, and I, I, what we what we do here is we always travel with our high school team. now we've put on some big tournaments, uh, you know, that bring in the the, the travel teams and stuff like that. Um, But we always try to, I I no longer, you know, do any of the coaching or anything like that. But the high school, when Kurtz was there and and Tiffany, they travel with their high school kids because our feeling is um, we'd rather win a state championship than, you know, uh, Nike Nationals or anything else. We'd rather win a state championship. Because right. again, that goes to community. Um, nobody cares what you do in the summer in, in in our community. Now, parents might, but in your community, the people that support you the most, they want to see what you do during the, during the school year. And so for us, the emphasis is the school year. And we try to sell the kids on that. But if you don't, if, you know, if you're coming from the vast majority of programs where in high school, hey, you might have a coach who's pretty committed, but. I'm not going to do much in the summer and I'm not going to do much, you know, I'll do my two hour practices and stuff like that. Um, and you're a competitive kid. You want something more. So it's natural that you would go to uh, an AAU team or something where you're going to get a lot more. And, and state rules, uh, I think, hamper and hinder uh, a lot because states look and go, well, you know, we don't want these high school coaches to dominate their time. So they, they tell you you can only have so much time with them in the off seasons. Well, that's an automatic for a kid then to look and go, well, hey, I got to go to year-round softball. I got to go to year-round volleyball, soccer, whatever it is, because if I'm going to get better, I've got to do it in the off season. And we all preach that. You, if you want to get better, you got to do it in the off season. Well, then the state comes in and says, well, you can't have an off season. So it's natural that these kids would go uh, – on to something else
0: where they could get better yeah and don't you agree for us coaches i I know i try to spend as much time with our kids outside of um you know the normal season but i also want my kids being multi-sport i mean i want my kids playing volleyball we're at a small school i want them playing you know softball i want them doing other things i think it makes them more well-rounded um, is that something that, that, that your community believes in, uh, even though you're at a big school?
1: Yeah, I I, I think um, it's it's always been the case. You know, um, the very best thing that happened for us and I think for the other sports is we, we had this really, really good youth program and you had all these really, really good kids playing basketball the whole time, but they were also playing softball. They were also playing soccer. They were also playing volleyball. And so... Uh, our state track, you know, we've won a number of state track meet, uh, track titles. Uh, our softball team's been really, really good. Our volleyball teams have been really, really good. Uh, we've had uh, a lot of our basketball kids are usually, um, especially back up and through the early 2000s, um, most of our basketball kids were all either into soccer or volleyball uh, or track or softball. And and we felt that that was important for them because competition's competition, and, right. and the more things you do, uh, the more skills you learn, the better it is for you to to take it into another sport because it forces you to think about what you're doing, and that's where I you know I say that um, I I think what's happened you could also back in those days though you could also kid to go to volleyball practice and if they wanted to come and shoot in the gym on a saturday they could do it and you could open it up for them or if they wanted to go uh, gyms were open all the time well now with the state rules you can't open those sort of gyms up and so i think you've forced kids now to look and say well hey i think i'll just i think i'll just do one sport now and i i think the emphasis has become not necessarily by high school coaches but you know by trainers and things like that the emphasis has become uh we need you out here all the time. If you want to get a scholarship, you need to do this. And so I think that's what kind of drives that uh, idea of uh, to get better, which is true. I got to do more things or less things. I got to focus on one thing. And I, I just don't think that that's uh, a reality.
0: No. And I, I, and you know, a lot of college coaches and I'm sure they're saying they would like to see, this is, this is from what I know um, that, Hey, they they want to see a well-rounded athlete, right? They they are they looking for kids who are just playing one sport, just playing basketball, or are they looking for kids that have played multiple sports that are also pretty great in basketball? I'm sure they're looking for the multi-sport type kid. That's a good athlete.
1: Yeah, I I you know I you know I I think also reality hits, and this is reality, uh, I, especially in high school, and I think you probably find it true at a, at a, at a bigger school. Um, if you're a five-five or a five-eight guy, you know, you, you better probably look and say, <laughs> I, I better pick something to really work hard at, but I can play the other things as long as I'm willing to sit the bench, as long as I'm willing to be a hard practice player. You know, if you're a five, three, five, four girl, it's probably the same sort of thing. It, it, right. When you're that six foot girl or that five ten athlete girl, um, you're probably going to be good at a lot of sports. And and this is kind of one of our things. We used to always tell our kids, you just need to realize the best players are going to play, you know? So I know you're spending a lot of time doing this, this one thing. You just need to realize that you could spend all the time in the world playing basketball when it comes down to it, you know, you're five foot four average speed, all the rest of this. The best players are going to play. Now, you're giving yourself a better chance to play more. But I don't want you to put all your eggs in one basket as as just a solid little athlete and go, well, I'm going to spend all my time doing this. Uh, and and then I better play. Because that may not be the reality. Uh, you know, for that, for that, I hate to use the, you know, lesser. I'm a five-foot-three athlete. So I knew all my life that I'm always going to be <laughs> um there's always going to be some some obstacles to overcome uh and i just think is if kids understand that that it'll help them to look and say then i should do some other sports you know the smarter i get is probably and the harder i work is probably better than spending hours and hours and hours in just one thing and 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 hope that that works for me
0: yeah and it sounds like to me you're you're honest with your kids uh and you you really basically told them the truth. And I think as, as coaches, we owe that to our players. We got to be honest with them, right? Right, Brad. I and mean, yeah. we just can't we can't say, hey, you know, what, you need to be playing basketball all the time when they might be better playing multiple sports, helping out for them. Might might be better for them.
1: Exactly. And I and I think as a coach, you have to be honest with your kid. You know, it, it it's it's almost like being a parent for them that you have to help them see what's best for them because you've in a lot of times you've been around those kids more than parents have. Uh, You've spent all sorts of time with them uh, from, if you're really active in your youth and everything else and with your youth coaches and stuff, you know, that kid. And so I think it's really important for you to be honest with them. And one of the things we used to always do um, we'd start a season. We at every level, we would make sure that we had a, um, individual meeting with each kid, and, and we had a list of things they had to answer. And one of the things was, who are the top five players? Who would you, if you were the coach, who would you start at the point? Who would you start at the two, the three, the four, the five? Then who's the first sub in and tell me why they're in, and who are they going for? And then, you know, it's, it's really important for kids to look at that sort of thing. And then we ask them the other questions, you know, uh, you know what do you see your role on this team? And why do you see your role on that team? And then we'd sit down um, at the varsity level. We'd sit down with all, each kid individually with all the varsity coaches and the JV coaches. And we just talked about it and shared it. And uh, then we did the same thing at the end of the season because uh, you're, you're really starting to see it now in college with the transfer portal. You know, kids, kids are coming in and they've been told, hey, you know, we really need you at, at this program. Well, now they're a freshman and they're looking and they're going, wait a second. They've got these five kids in front of me and look at the class they're bringing in behind me. I don't know (laughs) where I'm going to play. Right. Uh, You know, and I, 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 I I don't think college coaches are really, really upfront and honest with kids. The vast majority of them, Um, you know, they're, they want to get the best kid possible. And then it's kind of like, well, let's hope, let's, let's hope they're going to fill that need, but, the reality in college is, I'm out recruiting you every year. You know, you were you were great as a freshman, but I, if I can get a better kid, I'm getting that better kid. You know, so I think it, you've got to be really honest with your kids and and uh, help them make wise decisions. You know, we want them to make wise decisions on the floor. We got to have them make wise decisions in life.
0: Right, and that's part of building the relationships, right, Coach? Yes. Yes, you do. Um, you do have to spend time because I actually have a couple kids. I have one girl that's definitely going to be playing at the next level. And um, the, the problem, Brad, is she wants – well, her, her parents kind of want her to play for like a UGA or a Florida. UGA is right around the corner from us. I feel like she can play at a smaller Division One, like a Mercer, yep. smaller schools, UNC Asheville, yep. schools like that who are really good programs, Belmont. Uh, some really small schools. So, you know, it's kind of, it's a little bit of a battle, but, you know, you got to be honest. I mean, she can play, she want to go where it's the best fit, right? Yep.
1: Yep. And, and, you know, we had, we had one kid who was a All-American and she went to UConn and we, we were really upfront with her about, you just need to understand you are going to sit the bench your first two years. You're going to get in a little bit, Hmm. but you're going to sit the bench can you handle that yeah oh, i'll be great i'll be great but, you know, <laughs> she got to go to you know two national championships but you know she's not getting many minutes and then next thing you know other kids are coming in and eventually right. you know she transferred out and uh which was the wise move in the beginning um you you know to you should have looked then and said where can i be successful now if if you know, like your player if she wants to go to you know, Florida and, and sit the bench and I'm not saying she's going to sit the bench, right? But be prepared. If you're prepared to sit the bench and get a Florida education or a Georgia education and, and be a part of that squad, then that's fantastic. But if you're looking and saying, no, I want to play, I want to play a lot, you know, cause I've been playing a lot and I want to be an integral part of this. Then you need to re look at things and go, can you beat these kids out that are coming in there? And if you believe you can beat them out, then go give it a shot. But if you can't, you're just going to, the best players are going to play.
0: Yeah. And that's why the, the transfer portal is the transfer portals a lot in high schools, let alone, yes. uh, cause out here, it's crazy. Uh, that's a whole nether podcast there, but <laughs> Hey, Brad, tell me about in 1980 and 81. I really love kind of reading about how you guys got started in your program. You took a winless team to the state finals in two straight years. Tell me about that. How do you build a team that was winless and, and go into going to the state finals, man? Tell me what you did.
1: Well, uh, and now I'm, I'm not sure of uh, when we took the program over. They had won one game. And, okay. And 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 the first year we took them over, um, we made. Uh, the, you know, the uh, playoffs. And then the next year we made the state tournament and uh, it took us a little bit of time to get to a state final. Uh, okay. Uh, but our, our process was uh, once again, our feeling was we're going to give these older kids everything we can. And we want them to give the youth kids everything they can. And so we structured everything from the youth program up, we had our, we actually took practice days off and had our older kids go down and teach at, uh, at the younger levels of these teams and help these teams out. And each team had a, you know, we called them, a you know, kind of a basketball angel. Each team had a, had a varsity kid that would be a part of helping them and each younger team under that. So the eighth, seventh and eighth grade, and, and when we first started, ninth graders couldn't play varsity. So, um, I helped the ninth grade, uh, but the eighth, seventh and eighth graders were all varsity. And then everything below that was JV and freshmen. And we had what we called a JV two team. So every player was responsible to be in a part of the team. And I think that helped us within four or five years to, to start becoming, you know, one of the teams that was in the hunt for a state championship. Um, and so it's, it's just that long process, uh, I think the other the other aspect of it was we we demanded that the kids at the varsity level we came in with the with the idea that there's two things that I saw a lot with girls basketball um, they could run plays but they couldn't think basketball so if you could take them out of their plays they were done and, and mm-hmm. so one of our big philosophies became we can teach them plays or we can teach them how to play and our feeling was we need to teach them how to play and so once we were able to get them to uh see basketball think basketball and see two and three steps ahead then it became a really easy thing to start coaching the plays but i i think especially in those early years a lot of people spent time running plays and uh, we we ran plays but we wanted kids to know there were a lot of options here. There wasn't, a, wasn't something that was um, – nothing was written in stone. You know, if you saw that a back door was going to work, then run the back door um, and right. stuff like that. So I think that was a, uh, a big part of being able to within, you know, the five, six-year deal in, instead of just – our goal was the first year we just wanted to win two games. We actually wanted to win one game. You know, um, <laughs> we did good. Uh, then the next year we wanted to make the the state tournament we did we did that uh then the next year it became we want to win a trophy and we didn't care what trophy it was then we did that and then it became okay now we want to start playing for rings is what we'd say and we want to start playing for rings and uh you know i i think it's it's like anything you you got to give kids goals to shoot at but they have to be realistic goals and so I think that first year for us, for the kids to look and go, because they'd been pounded pretty good for two years, for us to just try to win two games and do better than, you know, than we, they had ever done, that was, that was the goal. And kids can, I think they can buy into that. You know, we sold them on the idea, and we did this all the time with all of our teams, that um, be a newspaper reporter. Um, look at the teams you should beat and you need to beat them. You can't lose to those teams. Then there's the teams you probably can't beat from a newspaper perspective. You just want to play hard against them and hope for the best. But the key games are the teams that either one of you should win. It's the teams that you can beat or you going to beat. And that, to me, is mm-hmm. the difference, is you should beat those teams that you're better than. You should play hard against those teams that are better than you. But the teams that are equal, that's on you. That's all on you. And if you beat them, you're going to find yourself with an opportunity to play those teams that everybody says is better than you.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I'm really thinking through, um, I'm really thinking through our schedule and, and so forth. Uh, now I'm going to talk to you later about how do you get to that next level? Cause right now um, we're in our fourth year of building a program from scratch we literally started a new school so we came in in year one so I was the first coach so and now we, we got a little bit better Brad in every year last year we won 21 games and now we got everybody yeah. back so what's our next step and that's that to me is that to me is the hardest part yeah. right going from yeah. hey you're pretty good how can you get to that next level? Matt, that's the toughest part, yeah, right?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it it, it it it's the hardest part on the climb up uh is to get to the top. But it's a lot harder once you're at the top to stay there. Because, because <laughs> this group of kids um and the kids before them, they're your foundation. And and they know what it took to get to the level that you're at right now, where everybody's coming back, you've won 21 last year, we, you know, the expectations are phenomenal. Uh, Now it's not probably going to be based on skill. It's going to now be based on mindset, you know, for those kids. It's that mindset of going in and not panicking that this is our shot. This is our year. This is our, you know, it's just doing what we do every day and doing it the same every day. But once you achieve that, uh, let's say these kids win a state championship. And then next year's does. Well, eventually what happens is the program's in place, but those type of those kids have left, you know, and they, they always say tradition never graduates, but a lot of those attitudes do graduate. You now start getting kids who come in five, six years removed that assume you're going to win. And, and right. they forget sure. that these kids paid a price, you know, for this. And uh, that's the thing that uh, we used to always try to tell our kids that, um, you know, especially after, you know, before that, we, we couldn't say this. But once we, we started um, establishing ourselves, we told them that, you know, we come from a championship bloodline. You know, uh, if you watch those, you know, Game of Thrones and Outlanders and, you know, but we, you know, we, we want to impress on these kids. We come from a championship bloodline. So you need to understand who you are and that every legacy will come with a burden and it'll come with a standard to bear and an expectation to surpass. But the point is we need to challenge ourselves each year. And if you can get that across every year to a team, uh, then I think you get that tradition never graduates idea that 10 years from now, those kids look back and they remember the kids that got them to that first tournament that got them that first district championship that got them. And that to me is the important part of never forget your history uh, with the kids. And you're, it's great for you guys because you are the history. You're
0: the exactly. (laughs) It's so important
1: for those kids. I think to understand Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today.
2: Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado.
1: That that first-year group, they paid a price. They were a first-year group, and they paid a price. They They're not getting all the nike shoes and all the nike sweats and the you know they had to win games hard and they didn't win as many as you and they didn't you know that sort of thing so
0: yes that legacy team right and i'm sure i'm sure you remember that team probably as as much as you all your your national championship teams coach tell me um tell me what you were known for let's talk a little basketball here and i i don't think a lot of people think like, okay, the best, the game was different. I'm sure that I know the game was different probably in the eighties. I know that, but it hasn't changed that much. Basketball is basketball in my humble opinion. Um, but except for the three point shot and so forth, what were you known for at Oregon City?
1: Oh, I, I would think we were probably known um, for pressing and running that we were going to apply a lot of pressure and we we're going to apply it as long as we could in terms of, you know, if 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 these are two teams um, that are going at each other, they're they're equal skill. We're gonna we're gonna go for the, the entire thirty two minutes um, of, of of pressing. So I think that was probably uh, one of the things we were known as. Um, I I don't think we were probably ever known as uh, one of those teams. I I'm not a uh, a basketballaholic. Uh, I'm not a basketball genius in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it, to me, it's just, you go, you work hard, and here's some things we can, you know, we can put in. Um, and we like to, uh, I, I think we, we we tried hard to outthink you. Um, you know, make you have to, not, not that we were smarter, but make you have to make more adjustments to us than we have to make to you. So we mixed our presses up a lot and mixed up what we did a lot and stuff like that. And uh, so I would think probably those two things, pressing um in in and, and intensity we probably our two big things
0: yeah and talk about your defense because uh, we're, we're definitely a pressure team too and um I believe and, and I want your I want your really your humble opinion on this um I play I what we do is we I'm a zone matchup type coach and when I what I mean by that is we play a lot of teams that are very athletic and we can't match up athletically so what we try to do, is play really aggressive matchup. I want my best players in certain spots. Um, So uh, we don't play a lot of man-to-man. We play a lot of matchup zone, but we're aggressive. So we're trapping, we're aggressive, but it's more of a – I would say probably a smarter defense (laughs) than just an all-out man-to-man pressure. Tell me what you guys do. Tell me what you guys did at Oregon City on that – Give me some of your key concepts. Well, you
1: know, when we first started off, we weren't very good man-to-man. And, and I think every coach has to look uh, and, and, and at some point say, what am I going to be – what am I going to focus on? Am I going to focus on offense or am I going to focus on defense? And our first number of years, our kids were really bad offensively. So we looked and said, we're going to focus on offense and we're just going to run a, a zone and just – you know, do whatever we can, uh, and just be in a zone and we'll press out of the zone. Once we started getting better, then we started mixing up, uh, running jumps, uh, with, with, you know, a one, two, two and a two, two, one and a one, three, one. And we actually incorporated a system for us, uh, based on numbers. Uh, the, the first number would tell you, um, How many kids are going to be up, and the second number would tell you in what area they're going to be up. So, like a twenty-four would be a two-two-one press all the way full court. Twenty-three would be half, you know, three-quarters court. Twenty-two, you know, would be uh, half court. And then we could change that. So we wanted the ball to always go backward, never come into the middle. So when they would send it down the right side, we would stop it. They'd send it backwards. It was up to the the player on the ball in a 2-2-1 to all of a sudden yell like a 33, which means we've now gone to a a um, 1-2-2 press as opposed to a a 2-2-1. And so uh, we tried to do that sort of stuff a lot. And now the one thing I uh, the guy you really want to talk to, I think, uh, um, is Kelly Sopak. Uh, He he does a phenomenal job. Uh, the you know the dribble drive press uh, okay he's, he they really really do a great job and and if that would have been around I think in my time I probably would have loved pressing that way because uh, I really enjoy that it it, uh, it it involves constant pressure on the ball all the time and you know bringing kids and flying kids and making kids think so uh, but that's kind of where we had got to with that and. It was always really nice to be able to throw a lot of different things at kids. And then once it broke down, we fell into a man to man, pretty aggressive man to man, everything forced to the outside, everything forced to the baseline. And so we would pretty much zone press you an awful lot, different zones. Um, you'd break it. We'd then go into man to man and force you to the baselines. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and that even, uh, I, I love how you go zone pressure in the man to man, because usually most teams we pressure zone, like what we do is we go zone, uh, back into, um, you know, a matchup press, even though our one, one, three looks like a man to man, it's a zone. It's a zone pressure. I, I like having the best of both yes. worlds. Um, I wish I had the players where I can match up better and so forth, um, but I just feel more comfortable. And and that's important in coaching. You gotta do what yeah. you know, right? Yes. You, you,
1: you be who you are, you know. You can't be what others are. And you you you, you know, um uh I, I know you've talked to Mark and and you know, Mike and uh um, you know, Kurt and stuff like that. Uh the thing I loved about those guys, and especially Mark, uh Mark is phenomenal at looking at something and going, here's how it's supposed to be. And if he took it out of a book or if he took it out, he will do it better than the person that presented it because it, he's <laughs> such an, a, you know, a coach with attention to detail. And, and he has such right. a, a good mind to be able to look and go, boom, here's what we're going to do. And, and we're, uh, he's really solid. And Mike Meek is Mike is kind of in between Mark and I, you know, because I'm real probably the guy that wants to, you know, uh, let's just go. Let's just play as stinking hard as we can, kids. And we'll have stuff behind it. And I want us to do it well. But we don't need to do it perfect. You know, where Mark is going to be the guy, they're going to do it perfect. And that's what made them really hard to play against. Um, and that's what made my card... Is that he was a kind of a combo of the two. He's going to press you, and he's going—they're going to do it really, really well. Um, but he's not going to be at this quite the same level as as Mark would be in terms of that. We're, this is perfect. This is how we do it. And then and then Kurt's just a basketball basketballaholic. You know, he, his. I, I'm <laughs> telling you, um, he's what I call a salt shaker coach. If you sit down with Kurt, be prepared to take notes because. Exactly. He's going to grab those salt shakers, and he's going to go, now, if you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this. And, and, and and that's what was beautiful for me to have him is because I just, in all honesty, I don't care. You know, I don't care. I don't care if if you rub elbows off the screen, you know, as you're coming, I just don't let them get through the screen. That's my mentality where, you know, those other guys are boom, boom, boom. Um, and and so uh, I think it's it's what you said. You got to do what you do. Know what your players can do, and you've got to use them in the best way possible.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, is I know coaches that are really like technique guys and and so forth, very very detailed. And then and I think I think that's really important. And then there's coaches, and I'm not sure where I land on that is just get the job done. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, and, and everybody, every kid's built differently. Some kids got to do it a certain way. So what do you think about that? I
1: I think I'm, I think I'm um, uh, the sort that I'm going to show you, here's how we want it, you know, and especially, and I think this was very helpful for me, uh, you know, from a guy like Mark was um, I saw you demanded it this way. I think I'm, for me, it would became a, but you know what, if you see that it's supposed to be a bounce pass and you can make a lob pass, take the lob pass, but you better mm-hmm. make sure you make it. You know, <laughs> if you don't, if sure. you, um, uh, in the nineties, they started doing all the behind the back sort of stuff. Well, I wasn't a big behind the back guy. And, and my thing was, Hey, if you want to throw a behind the back pass, you better make sure that it works. You know, I I'm okay with it, but if it doesn't work, you're next to me because you know the type of passes you should throw. And so it became one of those, if a kid was going to do something, you know, that might've been a little bit outside of what we wanted, they knew they would better be successful at it, you know, um, if they're going to take that chance.
0: Yeah, I totally agree there. And I, um, did you, uh, I know, um, Kurt and I spoke a lot on dribble drive. We, we like to spread teams out pass cut dribble drive, um and and we we really feel like an offense should be flowing what did you do how did you teach your offensive system did um did you utilize a dribble drive uh type uh philosophy there um,
1: we we kind of did it was we were way before the dribble drive though you know you know what I mean um uh, right so we started off with um doing the UCLA stuff coach James um, had some, you know, we used to call it Bruin and Shuffle and stuff like that. And so we had sure. set plays. Sure. And and then as we progressed, we started, um, there's a guy by the name of Barry Adams who was Mark Neffendorf's coach. And I got all this yes. stuff from Mark who had got it from Barry. But it was a four down power series sort of thing. And so you basically came down, your point guard was, you know, top kid on the, you know, up at the three point line. We didn't have it back then, but, and then you spread, all four kids along the baseline and then she chose a side and then from there you just ran a power game um, with a lot of different variations from it and it was great because it didn't matter if you ran a zone or you ran a man it was thinking basketball if if they did this we do this if they do that we do that Um, and so you had options everywhere Uh, but then as you start to go along you know you start playing coaches that go okay well they're gonna So then you started to realize we we brought two kids up, and so we now had the the two kids on the post and two kids at the wings, and we started passing and cutting through, and we started weaving, you know, and then we eventually we called that a five down because our our post stepped to short corners, um, which opened up the middle for us. And then it became, so it became structured out of our four down into a five down into our weave, but it wasn't as as organized as the dribble drive where you have drop zones. And, you know, the one thing that I, I, I just, you know, look at myself now and I go, how could I have not seen, even on the, even though we moved to the short corner, how could I have not seen that on that weave, we're just bringing a kid into the post kit, you know, uh, because we haven't cleared right. one side out with the post. And that to me was the, the revolutionary thing with the dribble drive was they removed the post. And now that right. penetration allows you to get there uh, a lot easier. Somebody's got to, you know, sag over, you're going to get to the basket. And I just, you know, we used to short corner them and, you know, they'd kick it to that short corner and they shoot the shot. But now it's, if you get in there and the post gives, it's, it's a lay-in, you know, so you it, it, it's, uh, it's, I, I think that free flowing offenses uh, where kids think and, and, can see options and are given options. I think that's, that's the nature of the game.
0: Yeah, I, I I totally agree with that. And I think uh, the one compliment um, I think our players said about our system is um, we get to play with freedom. And I think, isn't that the ultimate compliment as a coach? Um, And, but you know, I am guilty as anybody, Brad, and that is, you know, we'll call it – I mean, we'll run – sometimes I run too many set plays because I want that control. But but my best coaching is when I let them play and make adjustments, and my job is right. to help them right. make the right adjustment. I mean, that's the hardest thing yeah, as a coach, yeah, right? but I do
1: think there <clears> – <throat> I think there's – it's that fine line between everything is, is a set play and everything is just freelance. You know, th- there comes a right. time, <clears throat> excuse me, when you have to have a set play, and you better be able – run that set play. right and if it doesn't work you better be able to move into the next thing you know um and and that's the execution part that that i know for yeah, out here for a long time um it, it was kind of thought well we can get to the state championship we just can't win the state championship and i think it was you know it, people thought that it's because we don't have enough set plays or we press and run and no no team pressing and running is going to win sort of idea (laughs) and eventually you know it turned out for us but I do think you better be able to do both things
0: yeah it's that maximum I I totally don't agree I I hear that maximum all the time well you know you can't you can't be a pressing team and win a state championship um and, and and I also hear well you can't be good on the full court and also be good on the half-court defense. I, I totally don't agree with that. I, I just, uh, what's yeah. your philosophy on that, Kev? Hey, coach. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Can you still hear me?
1: Yep. 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 Something happened. You okay? I I you know the last thing I heard was. You know, the people that say you can't do both, I think you can do both. You just have to be able to do both.
0: Okay? Yes. <clears throat> yeah, I, I totally agree. and I, um, uh, I do feel though that at the at the state, and that's what I want you to talk about, when your team started to win those state championships, even the national championships, um, and there there's a time when both teams are are fairly equal. I mean, it is difficult to press those type of teams. You might have to grind it out more at the half court, right? for
1: sure. You know, um, especially in today's world, you find there's so many athletes that are playing and so many teams do press that it now probably comes down to little tiny things. Uh, The key to me in any press was three things. Um, You know, and Coach Wooden used to, you know, you just want the tempo of the game to get going and you want to make fewer mistakes than they make. Um, if you can press them and they don't score off your press, my philosophy is keep pressing them because you right. going to outwork you. Uh, so if, as long as you're not scoring against my press, I'm going to keep pressing you. Um, and I think the same thing is true. If, if you play a team and they do score off your press, but you're scoring right back on them then the reality for me becomes can we keep up this pace more so than they can keep up this pace and if that's the case then i'm gonna you know know, they may be breaking our press but we're coming right back down to scoring on them the problem becomes when a team breaks your press you come back and now you can't score um and then before you know it you know they're up 10-2 and you're going hey our press isn't working this isn't now we got now we got some issues um and you know it's one of those." when you start playing the upper level teams, you know they're all ready to play just like you are. They have their strengths and their weaknesses, and you just better make sure you exploit them before they exploit yours.
0: Right. <laughs> That's so true. Um, coach, I want to jump in into practices because I know great coaches, great programs that you had at Oregon City. You know when to teach a skill, when the drill – win the scrimmage and when to discipline your team, tell us how you ran a practice at Oregon City. I'm really well, curious. Well, we
1: started off. Um, uh, we ran a thing that we used to call running groups, and that was literally uh, we, we, there was a number of times depending on how many kids are on the varsity. You were on the varsity if you could practice with us, and and we if we said not slow us down, not be a drill killer. So if if you were a freshman. And you're going to play JV or even, you know, freshman. You're going to practice with the varsity every day if you can, you know, come up and step up to that challenge. Uh, because our, our philosophy was the best players have to practice together. And so we, we started doing that. and We started having 18, 20 kids at a varsity practice. And now they weren't all playing varsity, but they were able to, you know, push us. So we created this drill called right. um, running groups. And what it was, was continuous five on five on five with pressing and changing presses, et cetera. It's a little hard to explain, but, but basically what would happen is a group of, of five, we ran a, you know, the UNLV fast break. So we would come down and run the fast break against two kids, maybe one kid. Um, you start with one, uh, and, and the reason is when there's one kid back, you send the ball ahead to the two and it becomes a two on one. When there's two kids back, you send the ball ahead. You're trying to get a three on two. Now, um, when there's three kids back, you're probably going to have to run something out of your fast break. And so we kept adding different mm-hmm. numbers of kids. So you'd have one kid back, two kids back, three kids, but the offense would go down against, let's say three kids. They'd go down. They would run the offense they had they'd score or if they missed the shot the defense would get it and immediately set it down or just tip it away or whatever the five kids who came on offense were now coming back against two other kids who had stepped in at the far end plus these three so you on offense went down one time and came back one time and on defense you had you know one two kids back here maybe three they ran down and played with a five man group and now they became offense so it was continuous the whole time um, i know it's hard to comprehend but but uh then you-
0: no i love it i, I love i love it I, it sounds like it sounds a little bit actually kurt was i think telling me about it and so forth and I actually i think he sent me a video no, I, it, I love the drill coach you
1: could, we like i said we were really big into changing presses so we would change presses con- right. constantly you know um, the defense They'd get the, there'd be three of them. Let's say they'd tap the ball down and somebody would all of a sudden yell, you know, 34. Well, they, the kids coming on had to figure it out. Well, the kids playing still had to figure, okay, we're being pressed this way now. So it was a, it was a great way to teach the kids to think and, and to, uh, so we always, that's how we started. I'm not a big warm up guy. Uh, you know, so that's how we always right. started with practice after shooting, you know, for five minutes, 10 minutes or so. Uh, and then we would, go into whatever we deemed was important. And we tried to split our practices up into three. So if we had a two-hour practice, um, you'd break it down into, you know, running groups, offense, and defense. And if you had a three-hour practice or a Saturday practice, you know, that might have been two and a half, same sort of thing. And then we would work on fundamentals uh, early in the season until we got to a point where we believed the – fund we didn't need the fundamental work Uh, what we needed now was to put the groups together and, um, we tried to always come up with drills that were game oriented and competitive. We wanted everything to be competitive all the time. Uh, that didn't matter. You know, it didn't mean that you had to be a a winner or a loser, but, uh, we had a big piece of paper uh, a lot of times over on the, uh, wall of the gym and a manager. And every time there was a bad turnover, uh, You, you, you had a list of all the names. Um, you made a bad pass. We put it down, you know, so you could see 30 minutes into practice that you've already had seven turnovers. Um, and this kid's already got 15 rebounds. And so we just did a running tally so kids could see what they were doing. And then you, you could look at that and you could show a kid, you know, Sally, I'm not, I'm not sure what you're doing here today. You know, you, you've got three turnovers. You don't have any assists. You don't have any rebounds. Uh, you know, and we never worried about baskets. We never put baskets up there, you know, um, because I think kids always get bombarded with how many points did you score? Uh, you know, so, so right. we would have that up there. And then when we'd go into a defensive drill or into a defensive, um, uh, you, you, uh, not necessarily just a fundamental drill, but let's say we're going a little live and we're focused on the defense, we, we would keep it up there so, so a kid could see, uh, are they doing what we need them to do? So that's kind of, you know, uh, then the rest of it just became uh, the breaking down of those uh, of that 35 minutes or whatever it was that we had. Um, I, I'm remiss to, to say I had, a, a, a you know, one of my best friends, uh, Carl Tinsley. He was uh, he and I coached together for 20 years at the high school. He had started off as a junior high coach for me. We got him up to the high school. He became a JV coach. And then he became a varsity assistant. And then he became a, a co-head assistant with me. And, you know, he was really probably for us offensively was fundamentally the offensive guy. You know, he didn't like defense one bit. Um, and 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 he was more Kurdish. <laughs> you know, uh, in the sense that he loved set plays and he loved to watch the beauty of a set play. Um, and uh, he was really, really good at it. And, and so, you know, I'm saying all this stuff and I, it, it's not a, it's not a me deal. It was a we deal, you know, whatever we accomplished, it was a we thing, you know, uh, he, me, all those other coaches, everything else. And, but he was uh, with me through everything, through everything.
0: I love how you took to his strength because, and basically yeah. he was your off. Op- Hey, this is NBA Skills Coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and
1: I've been working hard to build an online basketball school to help players and coaches. I'd love for you to check it out at puresweatbasketball.com.
2: Hi, I'm Alex Stevenson, Athletic Director and Girls Basketball Coach at Dodd City. I've been at Dodd City for seven years. During those seven years, we've won seven district championships, been to six regional tournaments and three state championship games. I'm a huge fan of this podcast, what it brings, and the platform that we're able to share knowledge and wisdom on and, and grow as coaches.
0: Offensive coordinator, that's what it sounds yes. like. I love that. I love that idea. And he
2: loved it. You know? Yeah, if, that's
0: what If he, they're he, good at it. I mean, yeah, you yeah, got to yeah. make sure they're good, the good at Bill it. Right? Belichick
1: thing, you know, <laughs> do your job and, and you give somebody responsibility <laughs> if they do it and they do it well, you give them more. If you don't, you find another responsibility right. for them. You know, uh, but he, he was—he was awesome. And he was—he sure. was—you know—really, really organized in certain things, and and he was a great—he's a great extrovert. And like I told you, you know, it's hard to believe, you know, because it's easy for me on this, but I'm an introvert until I until I know you. And and he could go someplace and he would talk to everybody, and and there were many, many people. I'm five three, um, he's six three. And there were a lot of people that thought, we called him Tins, Carl Tinsley, that Tins was Brad Smith because he was much more, you know, outgoing <laughs> and he'd be the guy maybe standing, you know, uh, when you used to be able to stand and stuff like that. And uh, he would be the guy standing. And and there were a lot of people that thought Carl was me and I was Tins. So uh, it, yeah, it was one. Of, and I am perfectly right. fine with that. You know, one of, uh, you know, um, one of the biggest things I think you can you can teach a team is what is called the manager mentality. And let the kids understand, when you get a manager, have the kids honor and respect that manager because the manager is the only player on the entire team that only cares about you. Every other player cares about themselves. And now sure, if I can make you better, that's great. But the manager is the only one that cares that you get better. And if you can develop that attitude amongst your team or your coaches, et cetera, that I'm here to serve you. You want a water? I'll get a water. You don't want, you want me to pump up the ball. You want me to rebound. You tell me what you want, coach. You tell me what you want player. I'm here for you. And when you get kids to buy into a manager mentality, uh, boy, I'll tell you, um, things just really happen.
0: Yeah, I love that because we really believe in that. Um, we really believe in the humility part of the game and so forth. And that's hard to teach because a lot of times I hate to say it, kids are kind of looking after themselves and so forth. So, but if you can get that mentality, like you says, then your team will move to that next level, right? You know, uh, whatever
1: you're doing defensively, a kid's willing to sell his body out. Whatever you're doing offensively, you know, I have a 12 foot shot, but I see the post player has a lay-in. I'll give the ball up. You know, I'll do whatever it takes. You know, if, if a coach says, I need you to go in for 30 seconds, you know, and just do this, stop that player, or foul this kid, whatever it is, a kid looks and goes, hey, gotcha, you know, and as opposed to the kid who comes out, you know, the, you know, you, well, you all got the kid who comes out, they've made a mistake or they, you know, they're not playing well, they come out, their heads down and, and you know, you're trying to, you know, build them up and get them going again. Hey, it, when you get to that point where you, the manager mentality and somebody comes in for you, you know, you're giving them five because you know. They're coming in for you to be better. They're giving you a break right now to get yourself together. And I, it just makes a world of difference.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that, Coach. And, um, and you gotta be, you got to be consistent and persistent oh, as a coach well, to make sure that's happening. Always,
1: in, in the youth program through, we used to always say, you're going to get what you allow. So if you allow a kid to be selfish, you're going to get selfishness. If you're going to allow a kid to put their head down, you're going to get, if you're going to allow a kid to roll her eyes, she's going to roll her eyes. You get what you allow. So if you don't want it, don't allow it. If you do allow it and they're doing it, stop whining about it because you're the one allowing it.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. It's yeah. (laughs) Um, but that's you know again that's part of the responsibility as a head coach and so forth and and never assume like things are going to get done. You better have your hands on a lot of different areas of your program. Hey, before you go, talk about your feeder program again. And it sounds I tell you what I love and I I totally agree with this is your varsity kids are basically connecting and coaching your younger kids. To me, that's even oh. better than the coaches coaching. Yeah,
1: it, I mean, that's well, what it sounds like y'all did. Video you know my daughter you know obviously grew up i i had two daughters one uh, three daughters uh two played one didn't um but my middle daughter what what she she couldn't wait to put on the varsity uniform and when she was able to put on the varsity uniform she broke down and cried and it wasn't because it was the varsity uniform <laughs> as much as it was all those kids that had wore that uniform before her who had come down and been a part of her life. So we have a generation of point guards that, I I mean, you look and go, Amy Alcorn influenced Kaylin Sherrier, who influenced um, Ashley Smith, who influenced Michelle Bugney, who influenced Carissa Boyd. And you, it's just one of those, all of those point guards were down with those kids when they were little. And so an Ashley Smith knows an Amy Alcorn, even though Amy's 10, 12 years older than her, because she learned it from Kaylin. you know, Michelle knows Amy, they know all these kids, we, it, it, and that to me is the, is the power of a youth program is those kids They don't want to let those older kids down. They want to emulate those older kids because they know them and they know what those kids are about. And so they want to make them proud. And that to me is, is a huge part of the youth program, uh, what the youth program does. So I would encourage anybody that has a youth program, make your older kids go down. Even if it means you give off a practice, you know, even if it means you give them, you know, a day off or whatever, but they have to go there. And, and we used to open up our locker room to anybody who wanted to come in, anybody, anywhere. And we, we did it because of our youth program. We wanted our youth kids in there before the game started, at halftime, and at the end of the game, because we wanted them to feel what it was like to be at that level. And there were sometimes we'd be in little tiny um, uh, locker rooms and we'd have 50 kids in there. And, you know, and, and as a coach, it's, <laughs> it's it, you get what you allow. And I knew that it may not be the greatest thing at a halftime, you know, trying to do something, but, you know, when you said everybody quiet, everybody was quiet. And so those kids could, could hear what you had to say to the older kids, even if it was, you know, uh, something where you were telling you, hey, you're not playing hard enough, whatever it was. Um, so th- that's a big part of the youth program to me. Huge. And then.
0: Yeah. And what, yeah, I totally agree about what a great selling point to get oh. to get kids into your program though. Right. Uh, yeah. If you're doing yeah. it the right way. Well, and, <laughs> I and, and mean, and it keeps them <laughs> it
1: Because what, what happens is a kid starts to be a seventh or an eighth grader and and they're on the B team and they've been on the B team and they're, they're trying to decide, do I continue to play? Do I continue to play? Um, cause we tried to have two teams minimum at every level and it, well, they, you know, they've been, they've right. known one of the high school kids since they've been a fifth grader. Well, they're not going to ask you probably, they're going to ask that high school kid. You know, what do you think? Do you think I should keep playing or what? Yeah. Well, if the high school kid, you know, is having the experience you hope they're having, they're going to say, just hang in another year or two and then make a decision. Wait till you get to the high school. Before you make that decision, don't give up on it now, you know, um, and they're going to go to that kid, which is what happened an awful lot. You know, kids would go and talk to other kids. And there were so many B kids that we were able to hang on to as sixth, seventh, and eighth graders that all of a sudden they got to the high school level and they've, they've grown two or three inches and they've been working at it, working at it, working at it. And they passed the kid who had been the A kid. But it was because that older kid just said, "Hey, just give it a shot till you get to high school. It's not going to hurt you to keep playing. You know, you don't have to spend all your time doing it. Just keep playing till you get to the high school."
0: Yeah, I love that. I, I'm, I'm, you know, what we do here is I keep, and I, I've taken a little bit of heat for it. Like we have no cuts at the middle school level, and we're a small school. We're not a big school like Oregon City. But what I was telling the, uh, the parents was you never know the kid that is maybe not really good right now down the road. If she creates a love and a passion for the game, she'll get better. And I firmly believe that because I'm not interested in winning championships at exactly. the middle school level. I'm not afraid to say it. We're exactly. trying We're trying and, to win at the varsity and, level. And,
1: and now it doesn't mean you're not playing to win at, at, at that level. But it's right. not – Life or death at right. that level, you know. Um, if because if you look at any any program, you're going to start with. Let's say you start with uh, 20 kids at the sixth grade level. Well, at the seventh grade level, you're probably going to, especially in today's world, you're probably going to now be down to 16. Now at the eighth grade level, you might be down to 12. Now you get to the ninth grade level, you got to hope you have 10 right. kids who want to play basketball that have been in it, and because the reality <laughs> becomes. Right. Just like a college program, those 10 kids at the ninth grade level, by the time they get to the JV level, which might be sophomore, junior year, you might be down to four kids because other kids have, you know, moved on. Some kids have gone up to the varsity. Um, You know, it's always going to be those you you're not going to hang on to everybody. So if you can hang on to as many as possible, and if we believe that sports is as, you know, uh, life revealing as we believe it is, then you want them to be there. You know, um, sports, it, it, it doesn't build character. You know, everybody has heard that. It reveals your character. Competition reveals who you are. And it's our job to be there to help those kids be revealed and then help them to improve whoever they are as a, as a human, not as a basketball player, but as a human.
0: Yeah, that's so true. That's well said, Coach. And that is, um, I mean, you're teaching more than just basketball. That's a sign of a great program. And that's a sign of what I think you guys had so much success. You guys were teaching more. Heck, you're teaching family, man. You're building a community and a family uh, within your community in Oregon City. I really love that. Coach, give us one recommendation for coaches who really want to improve their coaching acumen and craft. We talked about clinics before. I don't think people are doing enough live clinics. Are those outdated? I, I firmly believe that live you clinics know, you learn really the most.
1: Question. Um, I, I I don't think that they're outdated. I think that that people anymore just look and go, I, I don't want to go. You know, um, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of times – uh, the the time commitment is not what it used to be that coaches would would put in, and uh, I think that when you look for a, especially a weekend um, clinic, and you start on Friday night, go Saturday, go Sunday, uh, you know, it's the money, it's the time, it's all that sort of stuff, and and probably if you're really a a coach that <clears throat> really wants to improve and wants to get better the very best thing to do is obviously i would say listen to the podcast here i no i mean really and 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 not because <laughs> it's your podcast but because you go through and you just listen to people talk see that you you have the same problems they have or they've come up with an answer to a problem and you can do it in in you know in your own home but then call some of those people. Now, don't call me because I'm, I'm lazy, you know, but but call a Mark Neffendorf, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, call a Kirk, uh, you know, call Joel Embarer, call anybody or find the best coaches in your area and just go, can I sit down with you? Can I come watch a practice? That sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And and that goes back to mentorship, right, coach? It goes back to, man, you need to search for people that I hate to say it, that are better than you, as far as right now in your coaching craft and learn from them. I think that shows humility. Man, I'm always looking for people like yourself who have done it. I want to know what the best do. Oh, um I, is that you're a good not strategy?
1: And 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 look at the people that have been successful in anything. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're not willing to go do that, then the reality is you're done because you believe that you have reached the pinnacle, and there's nothing else for you to do. And because you 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 no longer <clears throat> want to be taught, and it's it's like a kid. If you got a player who says, hey, you, there's nothing you can do for me anymore, you might as well get rid of that kid because they're just going to be a drag on your team. So I would always say, and and that's what I mean about the podcast is you're providing an opportunity for people to talk to some people or listen to some people or, you know, that, that they would never um, have ever heard of in their life. You know, high school coaches uh, in any sport, you know, you might be known in your state or your area, but after that, you forget it, you know, so That's what I'm saying here is this is this is um, if you don't like reading, this is even better than reading because it's, uh, you know, books on on uh, what is it books on tapes or whatever. Uh, But that's what this is. And so that's what I go find those people. And that's when I was young as a young coach. We had weekend clinics all the time with four coaches. Uh, you know, uh, Don McCarty, our football coach. I learned it in football first. He would call three other high school coaches up, and he would bring them over to his house, and he would invite his staff, which was us, and we'd go sit down and listen to these guys talk, and it was awesome. And then we started doing it in basketball. And but the biggest thing for us is there was a group of us, you know, from myself to to Mark. Um, Mike was a a little after our time, and so was Kurt, but uh, Craig. From there was just a ton of us. Al Aldridge, all these guys learned together, and and we created teams that played each other, Um, and it was fun to be with each other in the summer because you learned from each other. And this was in that seventies and eighties, early nineties. We Gary Lavender uh, of Lake Oswego, all these guys would come to the same tournaments, you know, that we'd play in the summer or we'd uh, uh, sit down and we'd all talk. Um, and and so I learned from Gary. Gary learned from me. Mark learned from, you know, uh, Al. I mean, that's what it is. And and I don't see that as much anymore in coaching.
0: Yeah, and that's really a shame on <laughs> that. Um, and I, I just want to tell you that, you know, I mean, I love um, – I just love hearing from all these coaches from different states, man. You all have such an interesting perspective. And I think we just need to share the game more. Um, and I would love to get, matter of fact, all my my, my Oregon <laughs> guys together in one sitting. Like, like, it, like in, in a Zoom meeting that we can all get you. That's my next goal, Coach, to get all four of you guys <laughs> together. And you guys just talk, man. And I would love that. I would love that because I think that's how the game yeah, that, is, yeah, exactly uh, um, is. going to get better.
1: That's exactly what it is. And and you know, you and I talked about. It. I'm going to give you some names of some people. Uh, you know, I'll send them to you and their numbers. You uh, know, I'll call them first to make sure they're comfortable. <laughs> but uh, sure. I'm telling you, uh, there are yeah. some phenomenal coaches across this country that you are going to love having on the podcast, and and the people who listen are going to go, "Wow, that." there's a, there's a new insight I hadn't got before.
0: Yes. And don't you agree the high school coach to me, the high school coach, and I don't know why this is, this is just part of my mission is where I think the high school coaches are like the unnamed soldier. I mean, I don't think people take, I mean, everybody's talking about the college and there there's some great college and pro coaches, the best teachers, are high school coaches because that's where I learned the game from. That's where I, when I go to study people, I study high school guys. You
1: know, I I just think it's one of those as a high school person. I mean, there's obviously there's some phenomenal uh, college coaches who are great teachers. Uh, But yeah, for sure. As a high school guy, people forget this is not my job. You know, this is what I like. This is what I enjoy. My job is teaching. You know, I'm teaching from 7 to 3 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Now, in today's world you might have people that are no longer teachers that are coaching, but they have real jobs. If you're a college coach, you have a real job, but it's basketball. And and so if you want to sit around and do basketball all day right. great, but as a high school guy or a junior high or a youth person, you're putting your spare time out there and the amount you're getting paid is, you know, like Vic Schaefer just got a really good deal at Texas. Well, I don't think I'm going to make that sort of money at high school. If I was, I'd still be doing it, you know, but I'm being paid to teach <laughs> you're being paid yeah. to teach. And this is something we do because it's a labor of love for the kids and, and the sport. And that's why I, I think high school people and and below um or should be so held up in high esteem is they're not doing it for a living their living is something else so they're actually doing two jobs and for for any high school coach that you know is putting the time in or the energy and and all that sort of stuff even if they're only doing the season they're still doing something that a lot of people aren't they're doing two jobs
0: Yeah. And I, I totally agree. Hey coach.
1: Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah.
0: Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. uh, I totally agree. And uh, we, we all do it for the passion and the love. And unfortunately that many of us, we've put so much time into it and we're not getting, you know, we're not, we're not getting supplemented for all the time we put in, but we're doing it because we, we, we love what we do, right? But what, uh, uh,
1: I'll, I'll tell you what, um, it, Never. Just, you know, I know we've gone over, but um, I, one day we had lost the state championship uh, that night. And this to me, I think is the epitome of coaching. I'm home. I'm devastated. Uh, I thought we were going to win the, the thing. Um, and I was, I was pretty devastated and I was really devastated for the kids. And I, it's about 1130 at night and get a knock on the door and I open the door. And here's this kid, young man standing there and he's dressed up in a suit and I, his name was Bob Black. I called him Bobby Black and he'd been one of our coaches and I'd coached him in JV, uh, uh, freshman basketball, et cetera. And he looks at me and he goes, uh, I go, Bobby, what are you doing? He goes, I'm your trophy. And I went, "What?" and he goes, I'm your trophy. You don't need a state championship. I'm your trophy. And that right then and there hit me that this is why you do what you do. You know, I I, I he was a, a guy that had spent a lot of time with me as a coach. And like I said, as a freshman player and it really put life in perspective. He's there. He had just graduated from John Hopkins University, had tried to get to the game that night, couldn't get there. And he wanted mm. me to know that he had graduated from John Hopkins. And, you know, and I thought, that's why we do it. They're our trophy. Those kids, those relationships you have with that kid five years from now um, that, that was a player and is now a friend. That's why you coach. That's why you teach.
0: Man, that's pretty emotional yeah. right there, man. It's so true uh how much how much impact you have no. on these kids and you yeah. won't know it until you know, later like you, you said with uh Bobby all of a sudden you get a letter
1: <laughs> from somebody that says hey I've been thinking about this blah 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 and which is yeah. important for for us as coaches to do to those people in front of us oh yeah
0: yeah that's so true coach thanks again man for sharing I really appreciate it. I love it man Um uh, uh, I can spend three hours hey, with you, but hey, I know you got to go play pickleball, I think. probably. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry about that. Um, hey, thanks again, man, for sharing. I really appreciate it. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, uh, I do have your email on the website, but it, do you mind people contacting you? Because I have a lot of coaches that love to oh, kind no of no uh, contact the people yeah, I no interview worries. and so forth. You bet, bud. All right, great. Coach, thanks again, man. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll continue sure, the relationship, man. man. So I learned so much, much, much from you. Thank it's, you so much. It's a
1: great godsend to a lot of people. Trust me. Thanks.
0: You too. All right, thanks, Bye-bye. Coach. Take care now. Good, hey, be safe out there. All right, thank you. Bye now. Hey, this is NBA Skills Coach Drew Hanlon of Pure
1: Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision Podcast.
2: Hey, coaches, this is Brad Hilligas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division I, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, and data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. And if you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning.